Welcome to Fitness in the World with Benjamin Kasanji. I'll get into talking about this eternal life. And like I've told us that it is very important for us to receive these prophecies and all this. But it is more important for you to understand eternal life, the life that you received. When you understand the life that you received, when you understand the Holy Spirit, when you understand redemption, man, nothing will demean redemption. Nothing will make redemption. You see, there are many things we cling to as Christians that make redemption, uh, that they are an insult to redemption. They are an insult to what Christ went through. I've told us this over and over, that before I ever saw anyone speak in tongues, as I laid hands on people to speak in tongues, for a whole year I didn't see a single person speak in tongues. Today, it surprises me if I pray for you and you don't speak in tongues. It would really shock me. As in today, I've seen thousands and thousands, without teaching them, with teaching them, everywhere we've gone, missions we've gone with you guys, whenever I say anybody who has never spoken in tongues and they raise their hands, people speak in tongues. But it took a whole year. What if I came up with my doctrinal conclusions as to why they are not speaking in tongues? I would never be seeing the results I'm seeing today. The devil uses circumstances to, to steal the word. The devil uses circumstances to steal the word. I've prayed for my dad, and my dad has not been, he's not been healed. He's not been healed. I've prayed for my dad. You see, humanly speaking, you start looking for an answer that consoles you, an answer that comforts you. And yet that answer is comforting the nature that is not victorious. That answer is to comfort the nature that the devil wants you to remain with. So I'll go on looking for every reason why some don't get healed. Reason, and I'll come up with all the conclusions. You see, sometimes they are not going to get healed. Sometimes it is going to require 40-day fasting. Sometimes, as in there's going to be a lot, of, a lot of things that are established from my experience. And that is how there is a lot of error in doctrine. Like what my wife was speaking about when she was saying, it is not wrong for you to have New Year's resolution. You see, today anybody can post anything on Facebook that you don't understand and you term it as deep. Let me tell you, whatever you don't understand doesn't mean it's deep. But you see, now, now if I post something that is unheard of, that no one has ever had in church, it becomes deep. That is revelation. That is revelation. If today I go and post, and where did God say we should have keshas? Do you see any keshas in the New Testament? Everybody will comment, yes, it's true. Keshas are not meant to be there. Keshas are not meant to be there. No, that's ignorance gone on rampage. Like I'm saying, God may speak to me not to have a New Year's resolution. Just thank me and all that. The issue is when I come and teach it, it is wrong to have New Year's resolution. Because God told me that I should not. Then I teach it to you. Now that becomes error. That, that is how re redemption has been contradicted many times. It is because I went to cast out demons. And when I went to cast out demons, God revealed to me that there is something that was planted at this lady's grandmother's place. We should go and dig it out. And that is how she's going to be set free. Now I start setting that as a doctrine. If we don't dig out things, people are not going to be set free. If we don't dig out things, people are not going to be set free. That was my experience. And that is why God wants us to preach the word more than we preach our experiences. Because our experiences are personal. Paul didn't preach to people that for you to be born again, you should be on the road to Damascus and be hit down. That's the only way you can be born again. No. You see, that's what we do today. That's what we do. I take my experience and put it above the word. I don't care how powerful my experience is. If it has no proper support, a witness of two or three scriptures in the word, it is not to be preached. It benefited me with God. Hallelujah. There is a time God spoke to my wife and told her, for those allergies, sometime back, for those allergies to go and what? Every morning, shower with cold water. Imagine if we put that in a book. Yeah? No, no, no. There are those even who are believing God to start showering. Now, if you... <laughs> Imagine if we took it to that level and we make it a doctrine. All points of context. Even Paul, it was in the Bible. But it was not doctrine. Actually, if you realize the ones for Paul, he didn't send them. The Bible says the hankies that fell, the aprons. It's people who picked. Their faith, they looked and they picked. So if my emphasis is that, that you can't be healed unless you've got some holy water, you can't be healed unless you've got some, I have the Holy Ghost. Do you believe that the Holy Ghost in you is holier than holy water? Yeah, so holy water is good. Praise the Lord. Especially that it's holy. Yeah, it's better than dirty water. 
But establishing it as doctrine, we've lived as Christians, we've lived a very low life because the devil has taken circumstances and they've been established as doctrine. Circumstances that we've gone through. That is why Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. Why? Because he knew that there would be, there would be contradictions. What is the fight of faith? Faith is fighting to believe. Fight the good fight of faith is not, I break, I bind down, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. As important as that is, that is important. But what Paul was speaking about as spiritual warfare was not sweating. That's not what he was meaning. I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. Yeah? I'm not saying that casting down, binding, pulling down is wrong. But what I'm saying is that when Paul is telling Timothy to fight, He's telling him, fight to believe it. So sometimes to fight to believe it may require you fasting. It may require you pacing. It may require you groaning. It may require you speaking in tongues for many days. It may, it may require a lot. But the real battle is here. The real battle is fight to believe. Why is he telling Timothy this? Second Timothy is written during the time the church in Ephesus was going through one of the worst turmoils that they ever went through. Timothy is there as a bishop, and you see kids are being beheaded. Parents are being separated from their children because they believe in Jesus. Maybe he has many orphans to look after. And yet, he has read, our God gives us triumph daily, all these things. Timothy is not seeing those things. Paul is telling him, fight to believe those things. Even when all this is happening, fight to believe those things. You see, I've cast out demons and at times... They challenged me, especially those years. And you see, there are many books that I would run to how to properly cast out a marine spirit. And you see, it, it consoles me because I feel like, hey, there must be a different formula because the way that guy was slapping me, <laughs> I don't know who was being delivered. It's, it's like when people come in, they think it's me who is being ministered to. Now, look, that is a circumstance, isn't it? It is very easy to go and believe that some demons require more than just knowing you're a child of God. But you see what Paul is saying. You fight to believe that when you got born again, he said, these signs shall follow them. They shall cast out demons. So if that demon didn't go, the fight is meditate on that. Think about that. Grow bigger on the inside and go back. Don't allow to make conclusions that the devil wants you to make. Because he wants to make those conclusions so that there is defeat. I know many people today who fear to even minister healing, but they ministered healing powerfully. But people around them died. They prayed for them. They believed. They fasted. And they didn't get healed. And they made conclusions. I know somebody that was telling me, initially they believed. And they had testimonies of healing. They believed and they said, our children are not falling sick. We, and that was the testimony. And there's a time now that started changing. They started being offended by people's testimonies. When somebody says, I don't fall sick, they feel like, who do they think they are? They are too high there. They are. So they started believing things that are not right. So they started believing things like, what if God, is, God wants to use that sickness to teach you uh, what and what? And you see, as they started believing that, their children started falling sick more than they used to. Why? Because the devil wanted them to make that conclusion and believe it. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight that fight to believe what he said. To believe what he said. Amidst all odds, fight to believe what God has said. Fight to believe what God has said. And as you fight to believe it, it becomes... You see, many times what you've... At times, what you labor to believe so much, after a while, it becomes your point of mastery. You've mastered that. It becomes very easy in your work with God. That different, in the different areas that God has called us for, it becomes easy. You've heard of T.L. Osborne. At least all of us have heard of T.L. Osborne. He lost a son. He lost a daughter. He lost brothers-in-law. He went to India. He fell in India. He, he really pursued to get healing. In other words, there was a fight to really believe that God can even use me to minister healing. He saw ministers that ministered healing, Smith Wigglesworth, many of those guys that died, Amy McPherson, and, and 
He used to think it is only them that God can use. But you see, in that fight to believe, one day Jesus walked into his room. And from that day, he knew that it is him that God is going to use. He mastered that so well that till he died in his 90th year, healing was child's play to him. But you see, if he had gone on with these other conclusions, he would never see the healings that he saw. There is a time Benin was satisfying about him. I was watching Benin saying, there is a meeting where a person came to T.L. Osborne with both hands amputated, both hands off. And Osborne still laid hands on the person. And the hands grew out as they saw on the stage. You remember G. Simo, Azusa Street being bathed. He so much believed for the baptism and infilling of the Holy Spirit that the classes that Paham had, they were separated, blacks and whites. So blacks were offended, they would not go. This man fought so much to partake of that, that he was willing to sit behind and attend class through a window. The only black guy. And today everyone talks about Azusa. He gained mastery in that. He fought to believe. He didn't focus on, oh, they are segregating you, they are doing this. No. He saw God in them and he wanted what, he wanted it at, by all means. And even when he started the move, Everyone got filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone spoke in tongues and he didn't. Yet he's the one who is leading the meeting. But he didn't change his mind. He didn't say, maybe it is for some few. Because that's what he had had all the time. So imagine you gather people like this and say, let's wait for 10 days. You are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone gets filled with the Holy Spirit. And they leave and you have not been filled. It's very easy to conclude that it may be a gift for some few. It's not for all. But he didn't. That is why we speak about Azusa today. Because he fought the good fight of faith. Praise the Lord. Whatever God has called you to do, definitely the devil will bring things to contradict it. That is why he says that persecution comes because of the word you receive. That's what he says in Mark. When he's talking about the parable of the sower, he says persecution comes because of the word. Before you receive the word, persecution does not come. You used to easily get money until God told you you're going to be a kingdom financier. You call your mom and your mom tells you things are tough. That's the first time your mom is telling you, I can't send you money. Before you receive the word, everything used to seem right. That is the time to fight the good fight of faith. Otherwise, you can go into all conclusions. I have a spirit of rejection. I have this, I have this, I have this. And you go everywhere, licking pockets. And you, you just go everywhere. Man, eternal life is good. You see, the Greek word for eternal life is anios zoe. It's not just zoe. The translation, like from Strong's Concordance, is everlasting. But you see, it is something much more than that. It is something more than everlasting, just forever. Let me give you an example. People who are going to be in hell, they are not going to die, isn't it? Do they have eternal life? But they are not dying. No, if eternal life was just about not dying, whoever is going to be in hell is not going to die. First John 5, 11. And this is the record that God hath given us eternal life. This was much more than living forever. It was much more than living forever. And then I thank God that he didn't say, thank God, this is the record that God is going to give us eternal life. He said, God has given us eternal life. Already, it's a done deal. And he says, and this life is in his son. He that hath the son hath life. Definitely he's talking about eternal life in that context. In that context he's talking about who has the son has eternal life. And he that hath not the son of God hath not life. Go to verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God. These are believers. First of all this letter was written to believers. If that was not enough He's emphasizing it in the letter to you that believe on the Son of God. So they are believers. That ye may know that ye have eternal life. It is possible for a believer not to know that they have eternal life. Many believers live like they don't yet have eternal life. But maybe it's because we don't know what this eternal life is. Yeah? He says, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. That ye may know that ye have eternal life. And that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Hallelujah. Don't such scriptures make you wonder, what was this guy talking about? 
that we may know that we have eternal life. These are believers. They are Christians. The truth is that many Christians, they may speak about it, but in functioning, they don't know that they have eternal life. Eternal life. The life of God. That which makes God who he is. He gave it to us already. Let's read 1 Peter 1, verse 3 to 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, hallelujah, hallelujah, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Let's read it in NLT. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. He's told us this inheritance is reserved in heaven for us. And you see, many times, we take this and conclude and say, eternal just means heaven. Heaven is part of eternity. It is part of the eternal life. No wonder he says in Ecclesiastes, I think it's chapter 3, verse, 12, verse 11, around there. He says, NIV says, he set eternity in their hearts. He has set eternity in hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from the beginning to the end. He set eternity in their lives. There is this inheritance that is in heaven. An inheritance that cannot fade away. But when Jesus died, when Jesus came to die for us, this inheritance that he's talking about, that is there, we are meant to just continue into this inheritance. We're not just meant to start on this inheritance while we get there. We are meant to continue in this inheritance. Let's read Exodus 23, verse 20. Behold, I sent an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. This was God speaking to Moses, yeah? When God is speaking to Moses, God was saying, for the children of Israel, many times we capitalize on being got out of Egypt. But God's focus was not just bringing children of Israel out of Egypt. It was bringing them into something. It was bringing them somewhere. God was not bringing them out, then figure out where am I taking them. It is not like you when you want to move out of your parents' house and you're like, I want to move out. You see, your only goal is I want to move out. Then later you start looking for a house. But this that he's saying, it is like he's been building a house. Then now he wants you to move out because he's been building a house. He was bringing them from Egypt into an inheritance. And as you keep reading, you realize that he wanted them to come and worship him. Even when Moses is speaking to Pharaoh, telling him we will not leave, not even a hoof of a cow. He, he said, because we need these things to go and worship our God. They were going to meet their maker. And when they met him, when they met him, what did they say? We are so scared of you. Speak to Moses. He had longed for them. He was bringing them into this inheritance. And that is why we see that Moses had a test of the eternal life. He was not yet regenerated to fully experience it. But he had a taste of it. We see his face shining. Is it three times in scripture Moses seeing God? Speaking with God face to face. You see and we say, no one sees God and, and he still lives. And it is Moses who writes that. Then Moses still writes, and Moses spoke with God face to face. As a man speaks to his brother or to his neighbor. Three times. The other guys could not dare stand before God. You see, Moses was not just brought out of Egypt. Moses came into something. When he was at that burning bush, there's something that he came into. That is why I always say that. When they were complaining, Moses who had lived in a palace, Moses who was next in line to be a pharaoh, we never hear him say, God, why did you bring me here? Looking after sheep. But you see, these who are slaves, definitely if they were slaves, many times they must have been having the worst things. But you see, they start complaining, oh Moses, remember the fish, the garlic, the cucumber, the onions that we had in Egypt. These that were slaves, they wanted to go back. 
Moses that used to stay in the palace, never, not even one time, does he contrast what he's going through with the palace. Never does he admire what was in the palace. Why? Because he was brought into. There is a new life that he had been brought into. That is why Moses can stand and say, stand and you will see the salvation of the Lord. There is a life he was walking in that these guys were not walking in. There are things that he saw that these guys were not seeing. That is why God would tell Moses, climb up and go to die. And Moses didn't refuse at all. When God wanted to kill these guys, God, you can't kill them, you can't kill them. How shall the Egyptians hear that you killed them? You brought them here in the wilderness to kill them. But when it was his time, God told him, go climb the mountain and go to die. At 120, his sight was not dim. His strength was not abated at 120. And he went. Why? You see, this is just symbolizing what Paul would say later. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Moses had got into eternity. There was nothing on earth that would define the joy of Moses, the peace of Moses. And that is why he was able to exercise authority over the elements on earth. Because he was above them. He had got into this new life that God had called them into. The children of Israel had not got into this inheritance that God had wanted for them. And that is why they were always subject to the circumstances on earth. They are the ones being beaten by snakes. They are the ones suffering this. It is Moses who stands before the, the Red Sea and it parts. It is Moses who, who, who helps them to get rid of uh, the snakes. It is Moses who is doing all this. Why? Moses had got into something. When you understand eternal life, you reign. Imagine this is a guy in the Old Testament. This is a guy before Jesus Christ died for us. And look at his experience at the burning bush. He even asked him, who shall I say that you are? Moses had such a relationship with God. Let's read John chapter 17, verse 3. This is what the Bible says. This is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. The Passion Translation says, eternal life means to know and experience you. To know and experience you as the only true God. And to know and experience Jesus Christ as the only son whom you have sent. To know and experience you as the only God. At times we talk about our finances like they are God. We talk about our sickness as if it is God. We talk, but eternal life is to know him and experience him as the only true God. Now I'm starting to define eternal life. This is eternal life. This is what Moses had come into. Moses had come into an experience where this God was his God. Imagine when Moses, definitely when, when there is no water. Do you think that Moses had secret water? Joshua used to carry water for him. So why isn't Moses crying like they were crying? We are going to die of thirst in desert. Did he have secret water? Maybe he had holy water. But Moses is not crying. Why? Because Moses' experience with God was so real. That Moses knew if God said, this is the direction you should take. If it is God who has said there does no need to be water. There does no need to be food. If God has said, go this way, that is where life is. Moses knew that. You see, you know, it's the same thing with, remember Elijah. Elijah comes and says, for three and a half years, there shall be no water or rain, no dew on the grass. Where was he living? Was he living on Mars? Or he didn't need water? So how do you prophesy that? Yet it's in the region you are. It's not that he was flying away. He was not prophesying at the airport as he got into his plane. No. These guys encountered God. These guys knew God. They had come into something. Eternal life was a reality for them. Eternal life was a reality. Where was Elijah going to get water? Eternal life makes you realize that you're not dependent on earthly elements. God uses them, but they are not your source. Praise the Lord. But if God has said it, his word, he says his word is alive, sharper than any two-edged sword. His, life is a, his word is alive. And when his word is spoken, his word brings life. How many of you have heard of Brother Yun, the Chinese, Chinese preacher? Like a brief story, he was arrested in China for preaching the gospel. He's been preaching. There's a book about him called The Heavenly Man. He got out of prison like Peter got out of prison. But how? His spiritual father was with him in prison, and his spiritual father told him, 
your time has come. You're going to get out of prison. As in, he doesn't see it. Then he had a vision. I think it was an open vision. His wife is telling him that doors are open. You come. So as he wanted to ask the wife, how did you come or something? She vanished. Then he realized he had been in an open vision. So because of that, he just stood up and started walking. So when he got to the first gate, it opened. He got to the second one, it opened. He got to the third one, it opened. He got to the fourth one, it opened. And outside there's a cab asking, where are you going? He said, I'm going to work. Drive very fast. And the policemen were there. He was wondering why they are not arresting him. True story, not fiction. Hallelujah. This is what I'm saying. Why did the doors open? You see, instead of reasoning with God when the word has come, if God has said go, that door is going to open. If God has said, this is how I'm taking you. It is just like when Jesus told the disciples, you remember after feeding the 5,000, he told the disciples, let's go, I'll meet you the other end of the sea when they were sailing over. That would have given them confidence in that boat to know that they are making it. Because he said, I will meet you there. His word is alive. When he speaks, his word creates. And that is why it is so necessary for us to meditate on his word. And his word, it, it should become life in us. Like I was saying, when Peter said, you are the Messiah, that word came with life because it was birthed from God. It was not because Peter read it in a Bible. And that is the importance of meditation. You see, when you read scripture, you can memorize scripture, you can speak the scripture. But this scripture that you read, when you meditate on it, eventually that scripture has life. Eventually, Rema comes. So when you're speaking, you see, it is very easy to say, God told Brother Yun, walk out of prison. You see, and you say, I'm also in prison. And, you, and you're beaten. You're extended to maximum you, you, detention. You, you're, just, you're just taken further. And you're like, why didn't it work for me? How did you hear it? Did you hear it from Brother Yun or you heard it by the Spirit? As we meditate on the word of God, a hearing comes. That is why he says in Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. There is a hearing that comes by the word of God. It is another thing to know, by his stripes I was healed. It is another thing to hear by the word of God that by his stripes you were healed. And the moment you hear by the word of God, that sickness cannot stay. It cannot stay. The word is alive. Praise the Lord. This is eternal life. Knowing him and experiencing him. Eternal life is not what we talk about just as Christians. I will live forever. I will not die. It is knowing him. Knowing him. That knowing him is the same he uses. Adam got to know Eve. And they begat Cain. It is intimacy. It is knowing this God intimately. It is experiential knowledge. That I know this God. And he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me I'm his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. He's saying he talks with me. He doesn't just talk to me. He talks with me. This is a relationship. This is eternal life. That I tarry there. The prayer can't be boring. You know why prayer is boring? Because it is a religious act. We are talking to somebody above the ceiling. So you want our prayer to go through the ceiling. You will get bored. Because every time you open your eyes, that ceiling will not be perforated. Yeah, every time you will, it will be there. But if you know that he calls you his own, you don't even need to look up. Hallelujah. He is a reality. That is eternal life. Experiencing him, the God kind of life. When he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. I thank God that he didn't say he's going to become a new creature. And that is where the fight of faith is. I'm going back to this. You know, the greatest, some of the doctrines that have really sold are doctrines about generational curses and all that, as good as they are. And you see, that is what I was saying also, that the truth is this. People have been set free that way, so that I'm not denying. But that is the greatest lie the devil gives to us. That is the greatest lie the devil gives to us. It's just like if you go to a home. I've told you this story. I read it from Smith Wigglesworth. And this lady... Whenever she was going to put steak in the oven, she cut it. She cut, put a small piece, then put the others later. So the husband's like, why do you need to cut before you put in the oven? And she said, that's how my mom used to do it. The mom was alive, so they asked the mom, so why did you used to do that? She also said, even me, that's what my mom used to do. So, thank God the grandmother was still alive. They went to the grandmother, why did you used to do that? The grandmother said, 
in those days, our ovens were so small, so that steak could not fit. So we had to cut, then we put the other and later. That is religion. You know that the excuse for religion? It worked. But it worked. But it worked. But it worked. It worked washing my clothes with my hands. They were clean. So I should not use a washing machine. You will stay there. There is a better way. That is what eternal life introduces us to. So there is a way. It may have worked. Maybe it worked for us. I went through school of prayer. As a family, we used to pray. Pray before midnight. Do this. Remember, my grandfather, all this and this, unconfessing, all this and this, all this and this. And it seemed to have some results. But I tested something better. I got to realize that new creature has no past. I got to realize that whenever we cling on to these things, we've not experienced eternity. If we experience eternity, the spiritual life, the spiritual, actually the spiritual life supplanted your carnal life. A new creature. It is even amazing that it doesn't say a new person. New creature. What is this? It doesn't fall sick. It's a, it's a mutant. It's a... <laughs> yeah? It doesn't fall sick. It's ever rejoicing. It does not know that people are dying in Kenya. It does not know that there is an Ebola scare. It does not know. What is this? It's just a new creature with new life. What part there is old? You get it? If you say you're buying a new car, zero mileage, what of that car is old? Okay, have you ever gone to hospital and the baby is born and you're like, hey, this baby, a few years ago, <laughs> you should hear about this baby. That's what we do for Christians. And so you see, when we do that for Christians, what, what do we relegate? We relegate fighting the good fight of faith. Because now we have excuses. You know how the devil many times wins? is because he just diverts you to the wrong battle. He gets a wrong battle for you. He tells you the enemies are this side. Then you go that way. Now you're born again. You're like, hey, I'm still falling sick. My dad fell sick at this age and what? Instead of fighting the good fight of faith to say no. I'm a new creature. I'm a new creature. The devil takes you into another battle. You need to deal with it. It started with your grandfather. So you start your grandfather's battle. And as you start your grandfather's battle, this one is still going on. By the time you come back, I've totally given up with new things of God. I, I, I don't want anything. They didn't work. He won the battle. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All the things. By the time you call it generational curse, as long as it's generational and you're saying it's from the past, let's see what happened here. It is old. Our past away. Behold, all things are become and all things are of. Who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation? Who hath reconciled us? Look at this. The word reconciliation is an accounting term. It is not a religious term. It's become a religious term. The word reconciliation is, was an accounting term. So if you go and reconcile the books, it means they are balanced. It means to bring at par. So he's saying, we were brought at par. We became level heads. Hallelujah. These things should excite you. This is eternal life. That is why he says, he raised us with him. Why didn't, you see, when, when he came on earth, he came to our level. But after he resurrected, he didn't come back to our level. He took us to his level. Yeah, he didn't come back to our level. He took us to his level. So that we speak as level heads. So that he reconciled us. He brought us at par. That is why he says, in that day we shall have confidence. Why? Because as he is, so are we in this world. It is not arrogance to say that. It is actually humility to say that. Because it is, you, you're speaking by the Spirit of God. It is humility to say, as he is, so am I in this world. Hallelujah. This is eternal life. The devil will win whenever you really get eternal life in your life. Whenever you get back to your past and you want to make your past a more reality, the devil will keep winning. And you see, the only way to experience this eternal life is by the word of God. My wife woke up and told me, babe, I think today is the day. So I'm thinking, for what? You said, I thought it was for clinic. And we get to hospital and the doctors don't believe. And they're saying, this one, 
is it your first pregnancy? Ah, you know, many times when people, it's their first pregnancy, they, they just like showing up early and what? <laughs> Doctors were shocked. There are things that happened. There are things that would have made us conclude, oh, I'm just pregnant, so it should be that. But we fought. Praise the Lord. We fought. And you see somebody will say, but others have believed and it didn't happen. It is sad and I empathize, truly. But I don't want to explain away what I've experienced. I don't want to explain away what God says. I don't know why. I can't say it's their lack of faith. I can't say they didn't believe. I don't know. And I don't want to get into the reason. I want them to dream again. I want them to dream again. I don't want the devil to win. This is eternal life is given to us. It is the same thing even with our marriage. It's the same thing. You see what we're talking with my wife. And you see, there are things that because I know it is godly, I believed it and it became a reality. I never talk to my wife maliciously. Even if what she's saying I don't like. She's pointed out wrong things that I don't like. I've never just kept quiet and said I'm not going to talk to you. Why? Because I live by the Spirit. I'm not carnal. So there are, th- there are things she told me that definitely didn't feel right. It felt like responding in anger. It felt like responding in what? But I know that I'm a spirit being. I know that it is me who rules, not my body. I know that. And I know that grace is there. Hallelujah. But you see, that is how we live. And that is how we live with everyone. That's how I can't insult anyone. You see, a Christian will be telling you, oh, you see, you, you don't know what my wife did to me. You don't know what my husband did to me. You don't know what the Makanga did. They are not the only ones you did it to. You do it to your boss. You do it to your wife. You do it to your husband. You do it to everyone. You need to know eternal life. You need your life to be trained. If you see somebody insulting a Makanga, the Makanga is the number something on their list. He's not that fast. By the time they go to that Makanga, hey, the people they had destroyed, you get it? Because you see, that's what people say. That you, 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 my wife doesn't respect me. You see, me, I would respect him if he does this. I would respect him. You don't respect anyone. It's not your husband. You're not disre- you're, you're disrespecting. You don't respect anyone. He doesn't just come up with one person. You get it? He doesn't come up with, and if we go to your workplace, we are going to hear, ah, that lady. <laughs> her temper. Hey, don't joke around that lady. Why? We choose eternal life. We fight the good fight of faith. That is why John is writing to them and he's saying, I'm writing to you that you may know. That you may know that you're different. There's something you've already received. There's something that you have. And with eternal life, we can create our world. With eternal life, you can create your own world. With eternal life, you can create your own world. Like he said that this year is going to be new. You can decide what you want. Like I'm telling you, if it's marriage, I know I want a good marriage. If my getting angry at her is ruining our marriage, I know that that's what it would do. So amidst whatever I feel, that is why I will sit and say, okay, let's talk about it. Okay, let's talk about it tomorrow. I want my marriage to work. I want it to be good. And I know that God has given me eternal life. I can create the marriage that I want to see. Praise the Lord. I can create the ministry I want to see. I, the way I want to see Ratsi. I desire that I want a ministry where people speak in tongues. I want a ministry where people are passionate for God. I want to lead a ministry where people don't just come to service for convenience. Because oh, this Sunday I have nothing I'm doing, so I'm coming to church. That is majority today. Majority of Christians, it's not that serious. School is more serious than church. So no, I wanted to, I wanted to, to pastor our people, to raise our people that exercise themselves unto godliness. Like he tells Timothy, exercise yourself unto godliness. Then Peter comes and says, to godliness, add. You get it? There's godliness. There's exercising yourself unto godliness. There's that, what is it called? Piety. you living that life with, with, with urgency. You know that you are a spiritual being. I was telling you one time, somebody is telling me, oh, you see, I realize that when I don't tithe, my finances are better, and I realize you don't even need to be tithing. You, you don't need to be tithing. You get it? I'm not raising people who are first going to think about things logically, then obey God. You see, with God, there are many things that are beyond logic. And at times we get to understand them. And the truth is that I would have explained to this guy how still tithing in faith, you will be blessed. Because I've seen it in my life. But I realize that God is not even Lord of his life, first of all. Let me say like you, 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 you serve in the army. In the army, if you're told, go down, you say, yes, sir, and you go down. You get to know later, or you don't have the right to know. If they are gracious, they will tell you why they told you to get down. And he calls us soldiers when we came to God. There are things that you may read in the Bible, and at that time, you don't 
even know how it works for your good, but he is Lord. Will you submit to him? If you submit to him, eventually you're going to realize that whatever he's told you to do, whatever he requires from you is for your own good. And no matter how good the option seems to be, it is for disaster. There is a way that seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof is destruction. No matter how glittering it is, in the end it is going to be destruction. So this is eternal life. Exercise yourself unto godliness. As in, like I was saying, when God gives you a prophetic word, take it seriously. God has told you you are the righteousness of God. And uh, if you've come to Christ, there's no condemnation for you. Then you're there. I might still be a sinner. No. You get to know, righteousness is not your good doing. Righteousness is what Christ bought for you. Wake up in the morning, tell yourself that. Wake up in the morning, every day you say, okay, it's true. Yesterday I did something wrong. I thought I would not do this anymore. Thank God I'm the righteousness of God. Thank God I'm not his son just because I stopped drinking. It's not stopping to drink that made me his son. It is not stopping pornography that made me his son. It is Jesus' blood that made me righteous. And I'm telling you, when you understand that, you will reign over pornography. You will reign over drinking. You will, you will reign over those things because you have things in order. But as long as you have them in the wrong, it will never work. We have eternal life. The life of God. Let's read 2 Peter 2, 3. Chapter 1, sorry. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge, you see that word knowledge again. Through the experience of him, he's given unto us all things that pertain to and godliness. What is lacking in that set? What is missing? That is a universal set. Nothing is missing. And he's given us. And you see, I like it because you remember when, when Pastor Ben Isaac was here, something he told us, which I looked at and it's very amazing. In the New Testament, after the resurrection of Jesus, there is no promise that is not in past tense. Go look at your Bible. First Peter 2.24, by his stripes, we were healed. You, you look, he's given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You go to Ephesians, he says, he has already lifted us. He's put us in heavenly places. Everything is in past tense. He, we have come to Mount Zion. Everything after Jesus Christ is in past tense. Why? Because he gave you eternal life. Why? Eternal life comes with everything. Eternal life is the full package. It came with everything. There is no more peace that God is going to give. Now you see somebody going to say, so is it wrong to say God give us peace and what? The truth is that the Bible, the Bible was written. You see, the Bible has meat. The same Bible has milk. The same Bible has bone. The same Bible. So if you want to start milk, you can start milk. Like Ada saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how many Christians are living. You see, when you stay on milk, that's where you stay. There's a time when you've got born again and you say, whatever you need, ask from God. Then we just go in the closet. Oh God, school fees this year. Oh God, I need this this year. Oh God, I need this. That's milk. But you see, you get to a place where you realize that he says, he's given unto us all things about into life and godliness. Then in Ephesians he says that he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now what do you need to beg? You start creating. Because he's given you, it's in you. You start unleashing God. That is why the Bible says that creation is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. Why? The ones that unleash God. The ones that know. It. That's why John is writing to them. He's writing to them to know that they have eternal life. That you have everything. That you now release. And you know the principles. The principles are in you now. So you now release. It is hell. And that is why you see. You never see in the New Testament. You never see them praying for any sick person. But you see James writing, let him go to the elders and they will pray for him. A prayer of faith, believe the sick. But you never see anyone praying for the sick. They always commanded, Paul looking at him, perceived he had faith and told him, rise up and walk. Jesus says, put mud on his eyes. As in, you never see him saying, let's pray. And even when he's telling us there's nowhere, he tells us, go pray for the sick. There's no verse like that. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers. You will lay your hands on the sick and they will recover. You never hear him tell us that. So if that is meat, majority of the church has not got there. We are still at milk. And you see, we are bound there because it works. But we prayed and it worked. What if you didn't pray and it worked? Wouldn't it make work faster? 
You say, I, I like, you remember when Charles Ndifon came to Papa's center? You remember? He didn't pray for anyone. Look at how it was first. That man has known eternal life. That man walked in and you see, he said, I have come that you may have life. I am here. I know. I know. There's somebody deaf here. Come, check that ear. Check. Oh, it was. No, I didn't tell me to check that ear. Are you sure it's deaf? I, I can hear. I can hear. Sis, I told you. I told you. I think that's better than, oh, Father. <laughs> oh, please. Oh. Now, I'm not saying that you jump levels. <laughs> I'm not saying get in a service and say, who are the sick? I'm not praying for you. Check, check, check. The truth is that there is growth. But we can't grow if we don't know what's at the top. We don't aspire for it. If we are so comfortable at the milk level, we're not going to aspire for the other one. So as we do this, we grow. And that is what eternal life is about. That is what the Bible is about. So we start at this level. You started at a, you see, I used to hear preachers who say, I don't pray for anything. I've never prayed for anything. And you see, some people call them arrogant. But you see, you start growing and you start reaching a certain, and you're like, what? What do I need to pray for? You realize you, you get there. So it would be wrong for an unbeliever for you to tell, him, to tell an unbeliever it is wrong for you to pray for such things. It would be wrong. They have to grow. It would be wrong for me to tell my baby, why are you just taking breast milk every day? They stack here, eat. Mutura, matumbo. <laughs> you, you see, it would be wrong. She has to grow. But if she says, I never want to stop this, I never want to start on food, there would be something wrong. But you see, I told you the last service we had that God spoke to me that there are people who don't want to grow. You know, I used to, to, to wonder why people would get offended by some of the things I would say, yet they are scripture. Then it would bother me. Imagine I just told them because I read scripture, I don't fall sick. I thought it would challenge them or inspire them to say, I also want that. It's in the Bible. Then they just got offended. You, you think you're so special. You, some wondering. Then God told me, some people don't want to grow. You're bothering. They, they're okay where they are. You, you've heard of the crab theory. When you put crabs in a bucket, no, none will get out. So if you put crabs in a bucket, you don't need to, to, to cover. Because as one climbs, they climb and pull it down. Then another one climbs, they climb and pull it down. So God showed me there are people like that in the church. You, you come and say, I'm debt free. Who do you think you are? Because they want you to come back to having debt so that you talk as equals. Man, that's not eternal life. That is why you see Jesus prayed alone. I think he didn't want to hear Peter. Oh God, please lunch tomorrow, lunch tomorrow. And Jesus is praying big things. He's there talking with God. Thank you that you've given me authority. Thank you that tomorrow I'll meet Barnabas. And thank you that he's going to see. His whole family is going to know of me. Thank you for the authority you've given to me. Thank you that even as I get close to the cross, these people will be feeling... Eternal life takes us, it gives us this life where we are in charge, where we reign. That's the life he came to give to us. Jesus didn't die to just make you a beggar. Jesus didn't die so that you just... I'm telling you, if... He died so that we just go to heaven. That would still be enough for us to celebrate him the rest of our lives. It would still be worth it. But thank God that that's, the, that's not the only reason he died for us. He died to give us a life to reign here. And you realize that wherever you've renewed your mind, you've seen him at work in that area. There is a higher life. There is a life that God wants you to live. So instead of waiting for every prophecy for this year, you can create your own year. You have a new canvas. You can write on it. Choose to be more loving this year. Endure hardship as a good soldier. That's what the Bible says. Endure. Grow in love this year. What do you want to see? Change that. How many prophecies didn't come last year because you didn't exercise yourself unto godliness? Part of exercising yourself unto godliness is fighting the good fight of faith. There are prophecies that didn't come to pass, not because they were wrong. But you are not in line. Jesus said, the ones you've given to me, I've not lost any. Judas was lost. It is not Jesus who wanted Judas to be lost. It is not. You're so powerful as a human being. You're so powerful. Jesus could not do their mighty miracles because of their unbelief. That's how powerful a man is. Jesus. Because people say, oh, Jesus did all those miracles. You see, he was God. There's somewhere where he failed because of the people, the people there, human beings. So there are many things God has spoken about your business. Many things God has spoken about your world. But how are you living? There are things you already know how to do. You want your business to prosper, but you, you don't tithe. 
wherever you go to church, it is another thing if you've not been taught about tithing. It is another thing if you think it's a thing of the Old Testament. But if you know, <laughs> if you know, you, you've been prophesied, oh, you're going to minister healing, but you're the one who is so careless with your life. You're the one who just does everything. You just eat everything. You just drink everything. You just, you, you just do everything. Then you're wondering why you're sick. And God has warned you. Eternal life comes with a responsibility, but eternal life is the ultimate life that he's called us for. As we commune with him, as we get to know him, even that experiential knowledge that he's talking about, that we walk with him, he talks to us, he, we talk with him, I'm telling you, you're going to realize, you're going to, it's going to be a bliss. Imagine 24-7 you're talking to him. He's talking to you. You live there. You're going to realize that scriptures that people look at are simple. Have you seen men of God? You see, I really, I really love Pastor Chris Aklomi. I love T.L. Osborne. But you see one thing that I got to understand about these guys? They actually believe the word. That's the only difference. They're not as deep as everyone who says they are deep, but they so believe the word. They believe like they are humble enough to be fools to believe it actually. Whatever they've been criticized for is believing the word. Look at healing school. They've had up to 100% results in healing school. Imagine over 300 people. They, they have intensive care also, which they don't normally show on video. But you see on video, they are showing us people in wheelchairs and what. And the man just walks in and out, 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 out. It's because he doesn't think there is anyone God is teaching anything using sickness. So you realize that he speaks simple things, but he believes them. Osborne spoke simple things, but he believed them. Very simple. Very simple. For us, we are going into deep things. Deep, deep, deep until we are also lost. We are drowning. You would rather swim at the shallow end, but you're floating, than go to the deep end, but you're just swimming at the bottom full time. The simple that we know, the word that we know, eternal life is so simple. Knowing him, your relationship with him. Sickness is not your portion. Poverty is not your portion. Gloominess is not your portion. Depression is not your portion. No, imagine how much we've been criticized for preaching that Christians should not suffer depression. How much have we been criticized for that? And no one has scriptural basis for criticizing us. And you see, there's a time, you see, if you start listening to all that criticism, it's very easy for you to think, maybe I should change what I'm preaching. Then you realize it's actually what is setting people free. These are crabs trying to get me at their level. This is the truth. Right now with the word I know, let me tell you the truth. Even if I got into depression today, I would never defend it. I've been sick. It didn't make me defend sickness. It made me even hate it more. It made me realize it's not from God. I don't have tolerance for it. But you see, the devil lies to us. God has a life for us. He has a life for us to reign. He has a life for you. In your workplace, you can reign. As a Christian, this year is going to be a year where you will reign. As things begin afresh, read the Bible. If last year, many of you wanted to read Bible cover to cover. It's important. People call it religious, but it's important. Read the word of God. And people say, what if I read those portions that I don't understand? You see, as you read them, you're being a good steward. One day, the Holy Spirit is going to bring light from that very scripture that you didn't understand. Let me say, I'm doing, I was doing biology. We had, like when we used to dissect, we would dissect rats, frogs, and all that. There's a book called Rowett, or the author Rowett. As in, somebody would be surprised that you've gone, you finished Form 6 Biology and you've never read Rowett. You, you're a physics professor, but you don't know Abbott. You've never read Abbott? You're a physics professor? You see, it doesn't make sense. But it makes sense to people for you to be a preacher and you've never read the Bible cover to cover. You see where we get it wrong? You've never read the Bible fully. It's excusable. You're studying physics. It's wrong if you've never read Abbott. There's something off there. God gave us his word. It is the full counsel. And there is light in every scripture. And as we discipline ourselves to reading the word, there are many things that we're going to see that were tied on that. There are many things that we may be struggling with, but we may realize that as we go to know the word, Get in the word more than you've ever been in the word this year. And get in the word with an open mind. Don't go to the word to get what you want it to say. You know, that is very easy. There are many things that, there are things up to today that I've not yet understood in the word. 
But I'm praying that I understand. I'm not trying to explain them away. But I can also pray that God help me understand it. What were you meaning in this word? Many times we read the word and we want it to say what we want. We want it to say what we understand. And it does not work for us. That's why he says no scripture is for private interpretation. What he means, it should be interpreted by the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Ghost that gives you the interpretation. No matter how popular your interpretation may be, if it is not coming from the Holy Spirit, it may be wrong. It may be utterly wrong. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Who is ready to live in this eternal life? And you see, this is, this is, this is just the beginning. At least we've understood eternal life comes with forgiveness of sin. Eternal life comes with taking away guilt, taking away condemnation. Eternal life comes with healing. Eternal life comes with prosperity. Eternal life comes with joy. Eternal life comes with peace. And many times you're going to realize you as a Christian, if you're gloomy, you're mad at everybody, you're what? either you're not fellowshipping or you're not reading the word or you're not communicating. Because you see, as the hymn, we were, we were singing the hymn, he walks with me, I walk with me. That joy we share there, none other has ever known. You can't be walking with him. You can't be, you can't be there enjoying that fellowship with him and you come and you're just mad at people. You're just shouting at people. No, you can't be that if you have if you've experienced this eternal life, hallelujah, experience the eternal life of God. It is a very awesome life. It is a very wonderful life. He has it for you. God has given you preachers, but he's not given you preachers to spoon feed you. He wants a relationship with you. God wants us as preachers to point you to that place where you walk with him. Hand in hand, you walk with him. Every day with him. This is eternal life. That they might know you as the only true God and Jesus Christ. As your only son, the son that you say, things will fall in place as your relationship with him. The truth is that people are going to hurt you, people are going to do malicious things to you, and you can't control what people do to you. But because you have eternity, you can control how you respond and you can control how you live. You have eternity. He tells us that if you love me, I think it's it's John 14:23. I and my father shall come and make our abode in you. He brought heaven and brought it in you. I will come and will make our abode in you. So God is in you. It is you who unleashes God. If your workplace has no peace, it is you who can create peace in that workplace. You just get there earlier than everyone and you say, peace today. No quarrels here today. It says wherever you go, you will live peace. And you will see things starting to change there. It is you that can speak peace in your family. Praise the Lord. You can change and be consistent. Be consistent. That's why my wife was talking about fellowship or the word that you listen to. You see, you, you change a little. It's very easy to backslide. Backsliding, I don't mean not being born again. I mean backsliding. You used to believe in healing. You don't believe in healing anymore. You used to believe this. You don't believe it anymore. It's very easy. You know how easy it is? The Bible says, blessed is the man who avoids, who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. In other words, you're blessed first by what you avoid. I'm not going to sit around people who are going to tell me wives are nagging. Wives can be a problem. No, I'm not going to sit around them. Eventually, I'll be talking like them. Eventually, I'll be talking like them. Praise the Lord. You as a child of God, this time you're high. You're here speaking. I'm a child of God. I'm the righteousness of God. I'm this. I can't be stressed. I can't be depressed. I can't do this. Then you go among us other people and say, you see, it's true we are Christians. But this, you start, you start seeing your life going down. It is a continual thing. At times you may, that's why Paul is telling Timothy to stir up the gift. Paul is challenging Timothy. Why? Timothy had not backslidden, but there was a drawing back in the heart. Praise the Lord. And I've seen this in my own, in my own life. You, you, you see, just speaking things, and I started realizing that the devil is having lunch in my house. And God told me, come up hither. Come back to where I used to be. And the truth is that he cut off some associations from me. He just changed things. And for you, it may be the same. You're believing for your business to go high. But you're hanging around people who do business the worldly way. They do business by cheating. They do business by doing what? And you're wondering why it is not? You have to do it God's way. Praise the Lord. You have to live the eternal life. Hallelujah. Ooh, hallelujah. Eternal life is here. A new chapter has begun. A new chapter has begun. A new chapter has begun. Wipe away your tears. Hope. Don't lose hope. Hope is so important. There is no faith without hope. Many preachers have preached down hope and exalted faith. There is no hope without faith. I mean faith without hope. Hope is the picture. 
Hope paints what you want to see. Hope paints it. Faith makes it a reality. Look for help if you need help. Seek help. Pray with a brother. Talk to a brother. Go talk to your pastor. But don't allow the devil to win. Don't allow your business to go down. Don't allow your marriage to go down. Don't allow your ministry to go down. Don't allow your calling to go down. No. There is a new chapter for you.